you know, I was there when my mom was working like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. shifts at McDonald's and she would work 12 hour days, come back home and and make dinner for the family. Um, I know about my dad's struggle to immigrate from, you know, our home country in Bangladesh to the United States, to Canada and just going through a lot of struggles and odd jobs along the way. And so seeing that sacrifice from an early age, I felt like they've given me so much, I got to repay this somehow. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. So I'm excited to introduce to you Tanvir Mustafa, who I know him from the Untap Your Sales Potential community. He's super inspiring, also a fellow ENFP, and he's currently the head of sales with this coaching community that has roughly, I believe, like 150 members, right? And growing. And, uh, <laughs> and Yeah, and growing, thanks to, to you and all the work that you've done. Um, me personally... I have been a part of the community for 15 months now, and it's helped me have a lot more confidence in my abilities, helped me start my own business, which I never thought would happen, honestly. I'm so excited to have you on the, on the podcast. Uh, honestly, it's been a while since done, I've done the podcast, but you're, you're such a um, incredible, inspiring human being that I'm like, you know what? I got to I gotta start it back up for my, my dude, Tanvir, so... Welcome. <laughs> well, the feeling is mutual, brother. I mean, we got the chance to have a dinner last week here in Toronto, and um, I felt it in your energy. And can, again, congratulations on, on taking the massive leap. The leap to entrepreneurship is not a, a small one. So uh, it takes a lot of guts, takes a lot of um, ENFP energy to, to get there. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm proud of you for doing so. And congrats again. Thank you. And oh, just a little context. So, so you guys know, so uh, Tanvir has had a, a pretty interesting, um, you know, you have a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors. You've been in a lot of different types of sales from door-to-door -door sales to, um, you, you know, it seems like you, you're like you've created the sales community in Ottawa when you live there. Um, you know, you have a pretty large social media following and you're also, uh, you have the winning streaks podcast as well. And you've been super consistent with that. So Overall, uh, very, very inspiring. And um, yeah, is there anything else I missed? No, I think I think you got it. I mean, uh, I was actually just thinking about this, I think last night. I've done almost every single type of sales that you can think of. Um, I've done door-to-door -door sales. I've done retail clothing sales. I've done yeah. uh, banking sales. I've done technology sales. I've done services sales. I've done e-commerce sales. So I've somehow ended up with this career path that, you know, I, I've, I've dipped my toes in all, in all the jars. That's not the right thing to say, but dip my, yeah. dip my hand in all the jars. And, um, I think it's led to a lot of realizations and, um, it's led to a lot of, you know, great momentum. And I think ultimately like sales was a really good avenue for me to use my, mm. use my ENFP energy, as you'd say, <laughs> um, and I'm, and I'm a very, I'm very happy that, uh, that I was able to find a career path like that. 
So that, so that's a good point. Well, let's uh, describe what ENFP is for folks who don't know what it is. So we mentioned it a couple of times. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to get your perspective on what it means to be an ENFP and and what is it exactly? Yeah, it's funny. I I uh, I mean, I won't be able to piece together all the details, but I'm a campaigner. So a couple of years ago, I did the 16 personalities test. I paid the full report and I'm a campaigner, which essentially means that ENFPs are uh, highly ambitious individuals. Um, they're very emotional individuals. So we tend to make decisions based on more emotion, less logic, you know, more value, less um, sort of details, so to speak. Uh, yeah. We swing for the fences when we go to do things. Mm. At the same time, what that what that tends to do is we take on a lot of stress. We tend to start a lot of things, mm. but don't finish a lot of them. Um, there's a number, number <laughs> of weaknesses as well. But what it leads to is this super active, hyperachiever type personality mm. that has a, a quite um, present dark side and shadow that lingers with us the mm. entire time. So the stress, the anxiety, the lack of um, feeling complete, the lack of feeling mm. worth, you know, a level of self-worth, that all exists with the ENFP personality type as well. So, mm. you know, it's still something that I look to discover to this day and get mm. more and more familiar with. Um, but I'm, I am happy that at least the test, you know, read out to me, okay, mm. this is, this is who you are. And it was so accurate that I was like, all right, let me see what I can get for this. And, you know, since then there's mm. a number of changes that I've been made to try and optimize my ENFP, let's call it. Um, there's another test called the Enneagram test too, which I've used for that as well. But, um, mm. I think those are, those are really helpful evaluations to get a barometer on, you know, where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are, and what we need to do to, you know, sort of reach our full potential. And what what is your topic? Okay. Say that again, my Enneagram? Yeah, what is your Enneagram? I'm an achiever, like a, a by uh, far and above an achiever. Yeah, for um, sure. I can my see first that. Category. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's a type three. Yeah, for, for those of you who aren't as familiar with the Myers-Briggs, um, like Tanvir was saying, and he described that ENF, the campaigner personality quite, you know, you're you're definitely like consummate campaigner. So um, it's great, right? Because we, we both have perfect examples of campaigners here on this call. Um, it's, it's a, there's 16 personalities, right? So that you can either be introverted or extroverted. You can either be like a thinker, or a feeler, you could be perception or judgment, right? So there's different and there's intuitive or sensing. So the exam allows people to be able to just have a better understanding of what makes them tick. And that doesn't mean we can't think or we can't sense and we can't judge, right? But it's just our natural way of being and what we're proficient at, right? So and and everyone has a different skill. Like some people can be super ENFP, which in my case, I was very, very far off on, on that end in terms of uh, all of my scores were like super E, super N, super N, super P and super F. So, you know, some people might be more closer towards the middle where they're a little bit more agile. So just to provide context and the Myers-Briggs is like probably, I would say the most common personality test out of all of them out right now. Yeah, so, and I think you need to take any personality test with a bit of a grain of salt, right? Because yeah. the results that you're getting are primarily based on the answers that you're giving. And the answers that you're giving can vary widely based on the mood that you're in, the day, mm. the day that it is, the experiences True. that you might have just gone through before taking that test. So I actually recommend taking it a few times 
over you know a, a long period of, of time because um, mm. I think that was actually something different the very first time I took it in high oh. school or, or something like that oh. and then years later after multiple tests it's been ENFP consistently um, but like you said like I, I don't remember my percentages but even though I'm an ENFP a lot of me sometimes feels like an introvert like I need to mm. recharge my social battery I cannot mm. you know stay sustained periods of time of networking mm. or um you know connecting with other people being out like being outgoing mm. like that battery only lasts for so long so i got to monitor it closely because i know that in order to to be at my best sort of full self i need that time and space to to re-energize mm. and recharge yeah that that's a good point i think because we campaigners give so much to everything that we do so we're the weird one that there's a lot of depth to us as well, right? Maybe not on the outside. If you see us mingling and schmoozing, like you might be like, oh, like how much depth can this guy has? He's like out there, like shaking hands, like he's the mayor, right? But once you dig a little bit deeper, we're actually, um, you know, like you said, we do have a dark side. We do have a, a strong shadow. And um, yeah, this stuff super like fascinates me so much. So on, on that note, you know, being an ENFP, what advice would you give to folks who are struggling with some of the shadow and some of the the dark side that you've mentioned? Oh, I mean, there, there are a couple of elements of that dark side, right? There's the stress and anxiety. There's the lack of feeling self-worth um, and general, just like, I think a, a big thing with us ENFPs is we're consistently seeking out purpose. We're consistently seeking out meaning. Um and so one of the the best tools that has helped me with all of that is this concept, this Japanese called concept called Ikigai, right? And mm. so as ENFPs, we're multi-passionate people. We have a lot of different interests, a lot of things that we want to start, do, um, you know, finish, achieve, accomplish. But what ends up happening is we start a lot of things and we don't finish them because we're jumping from thing mm. to thing and we get distracted. And then we feel this bottomless pit of, again, anxiety and stress because, We've have all these interests, but we're not getting anything mm. done. So what I would challenge people to do, whether you're an ENFP or not, frankly, is look at all these interests, you know, look at all these things that you want to do, you want to accomplish and put this into this, into this Ikigai matrix. And what Ikigai is essentially the intersection between what you're passionate about, what will serve the world, you know, what do people actually need help with, um, what makes money because that's important and we all know it's important, but sometimes we refuse to acknowledge it and uh, a few other small criteria, but those are the, are the main three. And when you can find that intersection, it makes it a lot easier to see certain things through. It makes it a lot easier to actually see something through to the, to the finish line, so to speak. Um, and it helps with doing things like decreasing stress and anxiety. Now that's, that's the other piece of that again is the self piece. So we might find our Ikigai, but we might still have a problem uh, with our self-worth because we're constantly tied to achievement. This goes back to the achiever mindset where we only feel worth it when we're accomplishing and achieving things. What I would challenge people to do is think less about the end, the end goal, the outcome. So for example, your goal might be a, a million dollars in revenue um, by the end of the year, right? But it's the same as having a sales quota. You keep thinking about that number at the end of the year. And all you're going to feel is the stress and anxiety from not being at that number already. What I would challenge people to do is create weekly, daily actions that you can execute on that as long as you do that, the, the rest will figure itself out. 
right? So it's like, okay, a million dollars is my is my goal. What would I need to do to get to a million dollars? Okay, this is what I think I need to do to get to a million dollars on a weekly basis. Now let me give it my all in executing these weekly activities and let the chips fall where they may. And when you make sure to make it about the action and not about the results, makes it a lot easier to deal with that stress and anxiety. And you actually feel a lot more accomplished on a day-to-day -day basis because you're like, all right, these are the things I need to get done. I love checking things off my to-do list. makes me feel good. I've had a productive day and I'm well on my way to my end goal. So that's how I would approach it. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, I think we ENFPs campaigners have shiny object syndrome. And if we spread ourselves too thin, right? And to your point, we also need to recharge, right? Like we we do tend to be very ambitious, like campaigning all the time, like winning people over, you know, being being the life of the party, being the MC or the people that bring people together, right? It it takes a toll because it's very energy intensive to to be like the go-to person, the the life of the party, the people go to for advice and things like that. Um, and oh, and uh, slightly distracted. Is that True Darks that you have on? I actually don't know the brand. Um, I, I just so. just got it recently, but this goes back to your early point, earlier point of dealing with some of that that dark side. Is you know one of mine is again a lot of that stress, a lot of that anxiety mm. that that we face, and so I'm now actively trying to figure out ways that I can reduce that amount of stress and anxiety mm. that I face on a day-to-day -day basis. And a good, mm. good amount of that can be physiology, right? Yeah. So um, I've got an aura ring. I'm tracking my sleep. I just got nice, blue light blockers nice. to make sure that I can, you know, wind down, have mm. better sleep at night. Uh, I'm going to the gym every day at lunch. I went to the gym today mm. at lunchtime. I go every day at lunchtime and either play basketball or lift weights and do whatever I can to make sure that when I show, show up to work or frankly, even outside of work for my, for my family, for my, you know, for my wife, um, when I'm with other family members, like being able to show up at my best as much as possible. That's really what I want to do. Um, cause if we're going to do it, we might as well do it while trying to be our best. And so using these tools, like these blue light blocker blockers or ring tracking, monitoring, and staying on mm -hmm. top of what my energy is like and, and what my stress levels are like, I think is important to actually exercising that, that full potential. Yeah, so they are true darks. Those are like literally the best blue light blockers. Uh, I just got a pair of them as well. Um, I usually wear it like after five o'clock, but yeah, that that's good that you're because you're on the computer all day, so you're ahead of the game. And I, I also have a, a Whoop, which is nice. a, a competitor of Aura. Yeah, a hundred percent, right? Like what you just said, right? We're both clearly like high performers. Like the the sooner we really start to take care of ourselves and put ourselves first, right? Whether that's you know, how can you, their physiology, metabolism, going to the gym, all the things you said, the, 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 the faster we'll realize like, okay, like we're able to perform better, but it might seem selfish, right? Because it's like, oh, like who am I to spend five hours every week meditating and going to the gym or whatever, but you know, it leads, it leads to much better productivity and just like, we're just more pleasant to be around as well. Yeah, well, this is also a learned experience. I I know to do these th things now because of the stuff mm. that I've gone through to get here. You know, mm. when I first started out in sales, I got hospitalized early on because I had literally burnout on the job. Um, mm. I had a panic attack early on because of it. And it was because like I thought the approach to life based on all these influencers and gurus at the time, I thought the approach to life was hustle your face off until you get results. 
hmm. hustle your face off until you get success. Grind your, you know, your evenings, your nights, your weekends away until you become a quote unquote millionaire or what it's, or, you know, whatever it may be. And it wasn't until I realized that the people who are actually at the top of their game are not following that. Hmm. They are not hustling and grinding their faces off to reach success. They're actually being very intentional with what they're executing on a day-to-day basis. They're being very precise and systematic with the way that they approach their business, their sales cycles, whatever it may be to, to actually be at the top of their game, because you can Mm -hmm. only work ethic yourself so far into success. At some point you can swim as hard as you want, but if you're going the wrong direction, it doesn't really matter. At some point Mm -hmm. you've got to combine work ethic with systems, frameworks, processes that lead to actual success. And when you look at the top, whether it's, you know, you got a couple of books back there, Tony Robbins, you know, Alex Ramosi, a bunch of these other guys, like they've got systems in place Mm. for their mindset, for their habits, for the way that they, you know, approach their time, energy, and focus um, in order to, to really get the best out of them because they know that we all have a battery, right? Mm. And so making sure that battery is as healthy as possible, as charged up as possible, as renewable as possible is uh, sort of one of the most important indicators of true success in my opinion Mm. you know switching gear a little bit uh i was spying on you a little bit and i saw you have a pretty big uh tiktok following how you how were you (laughs) able to make that happen (laughs) that that's a funny story that's actually literally from one tiktok so um uh i proposed to my then fiance um about what was it so we got married this past august so i proposed to her the previous june and, um, yeah, I proposed to her at this thing called the Bridgerton, uh, it was like a Bridgerton ball. So there's a show on Netflix called Bridgerton and they had a ball <laughs> event, uh, type thing. And I decided at the end of the event that I was going to propose to her cause we were really in really cool, like dress. She was in a really cool dress. I was in a really cool, what we call in our culture, a Sherwani. Um, and I, I proposed, made a video out of it. And uh, it just and it ended up taking off. What's funny about that whole thing is that I actually had to basically use my sales skills to get it set up. So I was prospecting the organizers for weeks, uh... multi-channel, like text, LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, email, phone calls. Like I was doing it all. And yeah. if I didn't have that skill set, I don't know if that ever would have happened like that. So yeah, it ended up, ended up just being a stroke of, stroke of luck. We ended up getting interviewed by Netflix, by Yahoo, by a couple of different news news outlets um, about our experience. But yeah, I would say it's it's one of those times where I got to experience virality, like true virality for the first time. I think the video has like 6.8 million views now or something like that. So it's wow. pretty wild. That is wild. Congratulations, man. No surprise to me. I mean... <laughs> There's clearly an energy that an aura that you have that's attracting the right type of opportunities. So it's certainly not by coincidence. I'm curious, like, how does one cultivate that, like, you know, like the je ne sais quoi, right, that you guys have, Hmm. you know, like you would say, um, because there's certain people you meet like yourself that you're just like, hmm, this guy is different, you know? Oh. First of all, that's very nice of you to say. I think it wasn't always this way um, to some degree. And again, this is another personality trait of ENFPs, I think, is being people pleasers. And we end up being people pleasers because we're not actually fully confident with ourselves. 
but we're not fully accepting of ourselves or in tune with ourselves. And I don't think I still am. I think I have a long way to go and I do still have struggle with people pleasing from time to time. Mm. But I think things like having a mindfulness practice, um, posting content to find my voice and not being shy about sharing my voice. Um, and generally just like taking more risks, taking more calculated risks has helped me feel more confident in myself and who I, who I authentically am. Um, when you combine some of those things and obviously having a great mentor too, um, that that's one, that's been one of the biggest game changers for me is, as you know, working with Ian Koniak himself, um, it can be really powerful to have a mentor who can help you navigate a lot of that head trash that that's going on in your mind at any given point in time. Um, and so just a, you know, just a culmination of all those things I think helps. And, uh, specifically the mindfulness really helps with the energy and, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm centered and not fluctuating. I think all, a lot of us, we tend to react to our day. Like the day gets away from us. There's a lot of things going on. And so we we're up, down, we're up, down, and we don't really get a, an opportunity or a chance or take a moment to center ourselves and calm ourselves down to the point where we're really operating like our true selves. And so what mindfulness has helped me do is just create more of a baseline wavelength. Mm. Like energy is a real thing amongst people. You can be around certain mm. people and feel like this negative energy immediately. You don't even have to talk to mm. them. So using mindfulness, using meditation, um, and similar tools and modalities to try and not just calm your energy, but regulate your energy, I think is the right word, um, to being able to operate like, again, your, your full authentic self. This episode of Winning Streaks is brought to you by Untap Your Sales Potential. Two years ago, I was blindly navigating my role as an account executive at Salesforce. I didn't have any structure or any organization in my approach. And if you would have asked me what my strategy was, I would have told you that I was just throwing as much at the wall as possible and seeing what sticks. This led me to extreme burnout, high levels of anxiety, and frankly, a complete lack of fulfillment from my role as a sales professional. It honestly made me even wonder if I was even cut out to be in sales. That's when I found the Untap Your Sales Potential coaching program. Founded by Ian Koniak, Untap Your Sales Potential is a sales coaching program that teaches the exact frameworks, processes, and strategies that have helped Ian close over $100 million in sales across industry giants such as Rico and Salesforce. With multiple number one finishes and seven-figure years, Ian's expertise is unparalleled. This program will help you access the mindset, habits, and selling skills of the top 1% of tech sales professionals. After I started working with Ian, I ended up finishing number one on my team two years in a row, closed over $3.6 million in sales, and earned my spot at President's Club. Most importantly, it helped me rediscover my purpose and experience true fulfillment. But don't just take my word for it. We've had over 150 students go through this coaching program, with many of them shattering income records, exceeding their quotas, and achieving levels of success they never thought possible. So if you're ready to level up and untap your sales potential, visit untapyoursalespotential.com and book a free strategy call with me, where we'll talk through where you're struggling, where you'd like to improve, and how we can help. Again, that's untapyoursalespotential.com to book your free strategy call today. Now let's get back to the show. You know, there's not a lot of people that have been as consistent as you have been in terms of your Winning Streaks podcast. I'm curious, like, what are some of the takeaways, like maybe big picture takeaways that, or gems that you've 
taken away from that experience so far? Yeah, it's it's actually really cool. Um, going to be going on a hundred episodes pretty soon. I'm at like episode ninety five right now. I've been podcasting for basically five to seven years. I actually started out by posting videos on YouTube. I haven't done that in a long time, but that's how I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I have a worldwide audience for anything like that. Um, I have a hyper specific audience with salespeople in particular right now. But I think the biggest takeaway is just like when you can be consistent at anything. You end up having a lot of integrity with yourself. You end up feeling a lot more confident in yourself to do the next thing, right? And if there's any advice I'd give to somebody who, whether it's starting a podcast, whether it's, you know, posting on YouTube, whether it's working out, just be consistent. And when I say just be consistent, it's easy to say it's hard to do in practice, but I would say uh, one of the one of the ways that I've navigated that puzzle is to do a minimum viable action. So even on even at times where I was like, you know, ready to give up, and just wondering like why why am I doing this? Is it worth it? Hmm. Just take like one small step. Can you record a five minute episode? Can you record a ten minute video? Hmm. Can you just get yourself to the gym? That's all you have to do. That's your minimum viable action. Get to the gym. And when you string enough of those days together, like you just end up being consistent. And over time, like whether it's sales, whether it's business, whether it's health, most of it ends up being a battle of attrition, which basically means it's not the most effective people that end up seeing the most success. It's the people that last the longest. So if you can just stick around long enough, you're probably going to see some level of success. So make it about, don't make it about the views. Don't make it about the likes. Don't make it about the comments. Make it about being as consistent as possible. And when you use that as your metric, the other things will figure themselves out. I truly believe that, you know, like it's, it's a rule of 100. If you want to be a great podcaster, make a hundred episodes. If you want to be a great YouTuber, make a hundred videos. Like if you want to, you know, um, I'd be a great salesperson, like make a hundred calls. Like it has to start somewhere. And if you can build a a certain level of integrity with yourself by being consistent, now you've got this like, okay, well, I've done a hundred episodes. I can't really stop. You know, I've gone to the, 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 the gym a hundred days so far. I can't really give up this habit. And so anyway, I jumped a lot over uh, all over the place there, but being consistent is the most important thing. I I don't, Quality and stuff naturally will will figure itself out. And that's seen in a study. I think this professor at a university did a study with his class where he divided it up in half and he told half the class, hey, uh, you know, your sort of keynote project for the semester is take one photo and make it as good as you possibly can. And then the other half of the class, he said, take 100 photos and you'll mm-hmm. be graded based on the quality of your final photo. Mm. And then what he ended up finding was that the 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 group that did the one perfect photo actually did not have as great photos as the people who did the hundred photos Mm. and then got graded. So that's just an example right there, but consistency is the most important thing. That's a beautiful lesson. It's, um, it it is interesting, right? Because we're ENFPs, like we're very good at starting things, but the consistency, like you said, is is probably more of a challenge, I would say, for our personality types because we are good at a lot of different things and we like we like um trying new things. 
So much respect to you for reaching a hundred. I know, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate enough. I, I think I'm up to like 300 on, in terms of like, I've had multiple different podcasts that I've been experimenting with and uh, certainly has not been easy, but I love the message you're, you're saying, right. It's, it's because I don't know how many people tell me like, Oh, I want to start a YouTube channel one day. And then seven years later, it's like, I still haven't seen them publish like one video. Right. Cause they're trying to get right. it right to your point. Versus it's like, dude, I've done 700 YouTube videos. That's, that's the only reason why I'm somewhat okay at it now. Um, yeah. Definitely a lot of room for improvement. And uh, what, and it sounds like this is a similar approach to why you've been so successful at sales, right? Because you've been laser focused on getting 1% better every day. And it sounds like that's a combination of your mindfulness practice, your habits, your routines, the consistency, the commitment to growth and learning, um, so I could see why you have had a lot of success at Salesforce and I mean, all the roles you've had, right? Like you've been president's clubs, you've been promoted from SDR to AE and then continuously, um, being a top performer there. Um, how, and then, you know, thanks for sharing that you, you burnt out as well, right? I mean, anyone that has achieved the amount of success you have, you know, it, it makes sense that you've burnt out at some point, right? Um, what 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 was like the wake up call? Was it like literally when you were had that panic attack, or um, were there multiple like defining moments? Uh, yeah, I think there were two or three, to be honest. Like sometimes when you face some damage, it doesn't hit the first time. It's like cumulative hmm. damage over time that that adds up and gets you to make some changes. So, um, yeah, the first was. When I was in SDR, I was there was a particular day where I was making almost 200 calls that that day for a contest that we were having, and wow. on the spot, essentially while I was on the phone, without respect, I couldn't speak anymore. So my voice gave out, and then my whole body uh, basically went went through chills. Like it was just it was freezing. I started getting really cold. I had to wrap myself in blankets and sweaters, um, and then yeah. I had to roll over to my manager's chair and be like, "Hey, I I I don't think I can work right now. I got to go." And hmm. so, um, basically like my half of my body broke out in hives. I had to be rushed to the hospital. Um, and then I had to quarantine for two weeks after that. So I quarantined before even COVID started, um, hmm. like well before. And so that was number one. And that got me to make some changes and slow down a little bit and be more intentional about being smart about how I worked. Uh, that's when I actually started getting into my mindfulness practice. So that was about, uh, six years ago now. Um, and then the panic attack. Yeah, I was in a car. Um, my friend was driving at the time, and I had a, a sudden panic attack. We were we were arguing about something. I don't remember what, but um, I had a panic attack on the spot just from, I think, all the stress that had built up over time. And I ended up hmm. opening, opening the door and jumping out. Thankfully, the car had stopped, but I, I dove right into a snowbank. And it was one of the lowest moments, moments of my life, I think one of the times where I felt the most like vulnerable, um, to just like pain. And then, uh, yeah, I think those two definitely got me on my path. And then once I became an account executive, again, I tried hardworking and hustling my way because I thought maybe that's the path to success. And I actually ended up doing pretty well, um, well over my quota, but I was very unfulfilled, like highly, probably the unhappiest I think I'd ever been. So I had to figure out the answer to this equation and I ended up finding a lot of things. I think um, 
success is only success when you can combine achievement and fulfillment. It's not one or the other. Like if I'm going to achieve a bunch of things, that's great. But you, you see, like, I think, uh, I think out of the top 10 richest folks in the world, there's been 14 divorces. Wow. And that's not something I want for my life. Not to say that I'm going to be one of the top 10 richest people in the world, but you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. base their, they base their, you know, measure of success on money, wealth, you know, achievements, accomplishments, followers, fame. Mm. And I don't want that unless I can feel fulfilled at the same time. So then my path became, okay, how do I combine achievement with fulfillment? So achievement is a lot of, a lot of the how to fulfillment is a lot about how you're showing up on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I struggled with finding this definition of like, okay, what does fulfillment actually mean? And I think the definition, at least that I've come up with um, up to this point is fulfillment is the pursuit of excellence in your craft and service of others. Hmm. And as long as I continue to do that, I think I'll find a life, build the life that I'm happy with and that I can, you know, hopefully continue to see quote unquote success with. Um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, man. No, thanks for having such a uh, being vulnerable. And, and I didn't expect to have this, this deep of a conversation, you know, us, us ENFPs usually keep it funny and, and light and laughing. And, and this, this is a, a pleasant, su pleasant surprise. Um, you know, and I think you're onto something, right? It's, it's so many of us, um, I'm not sure if it's like, because of like the immigrant background, you feel like you have to like, work hard to like make it and you know the for sure. american dream that's definitely or... one of them that's definitely yeah. one of the points for sure yeah so so i'm curious like why like it sounds like even from when you're a young age you were always pretty achiever oriented right yeah i mean i get emotional thinking about it sometimes but uh you know i was there when my mom was working like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. shifts at McDonald's and she would work 12 hour days, come back home and, and make dinner for the family. Um, I know about my dad's struggle to immigrate from, you know, our home country in Bangladesh to the United States, to Canada, and just going through a lot of struggles and odd jobs along the way. And so seeing that sacrifice from an early age I felt like they've given me so much. I got to repay this somehow. Hmm. Now there's that side. And then there's the other sort of practical selfish side, which is uh, I was like 11 years old. I really wanted this red bike with green stripes or maybe it was hmm. green bike with red stripes. I can't remember. Uh, and I asked my parents for it and they said, go make the money yourself. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, I'm 11. Like, what do I do? And they didn't have an answer for me. So one day I was like, you know what? I, I usually shoveled the snow when, when it would snow outside and we get a lot here in Canada. So one day I was like, Hey, can I go shovel some driveways to make money? And they were like, no, we can't let you out of our site. Cause I was 11 at the time. But then of course, as the ENFP and rebel that I am one day, as I was shoveling my driveway, I was like, how much could it hurt if I just went two doors over and like asked and knocked on the huh. door and asked. And that's where the door to door sales thing started. So then, <laughs> then it was like, oh, okay, door one said no, door two said no, door C door three said yes, door four said yes, and it's when I I think I caught the bug 
right? It's like, oh man, like I'm 11 years old. I can make money. And that's when the door to the door snow shoveling business started. But then eventually it got to a point where I was going through imposter syndrome. And I was like, are people just giving me money because I'm a kid? Okay, let me try another form of sales. All right, are people, you know, retail sales is easier. How about banking sales? Okay, well, banking sales, yeah, it's it's fun. But like tech sales is like where the real money and where it's really tough. So you just, you know, went from one level to the next. And I think, again, we shouldn't ignore our achiever side as ENFPs. We shouldn't ignore this part of us because it's it's what fuels us. It's what drives us. But learning to combine that again with the fulfillment piece that I already talked about is, I think, the key to true uh, success. Wow. Pretty, yeah, pretty deep, man. Um, I could definitely relate with you. I, um, my mom does nails for a living, right? So, you know, like growing up was tough in terms of living off of government assistance. And, you know, like anytime someone had like the new Jordans, I'd be like wearing my crappy shoes, right? But to your point, I w went into sales because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everyone else and afford like the nicer shoes and, and, you know, similarly, I also did door-to-door -door sales as well, Verizon Fios, Cutco Knives, and um, got addicted, you know, caught the bug, as you said. And um, yeah, it was it was like, I thought making 100K would make me happier than 150K, then 200K, right? And it was, but it was the same. I was actually more miserable because to your point, like nothing was ever enough, right? It's like, because once you get to that, you see, oh, there's other reps that are making a million a year. Like at LinkedIn, we had four people making a million and then, of course, my campaigner, it's like, let me just network with all of them and have lunch with them and like hang out with them. And that's what I did. Right. But it's like, it's interesting. Uh, I, I definitely can see a lot of myself in, in your shares. And um, yeah, man, it, it does break my heart sometimes. Like see my mom, she's sick from a lot of like breathing the, the, the toxic fumes of like the nail salons, like a lot of the airbrush and the chemicals and she has respiratory problems. And you know, part of me, like, that's why I wanted to start my own business. Cause I do want to buy her house one day and, and, you know, but she also sees how hard I'm working. And she's like, why do you have so much gray hair? Like, and I'm like, I just want to take care of you, mom. And she's like, yeah, but I don't want you to die of like exertion, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's tricky, but the achiever side, you know, I'm grateful because it's led for me to meet people like you and be able to have this beautiful life where I do get to travel and, you know, like doing the 15 day, so, like solo trip across all these different places like wouldn't have happened if I didn't if I wasn't ambitious enough to do stuff like that right but it's it's like that balance and then like you said like having a mindfulness practice certainly has helped me a lot as well and you know meditation and being a part of your community all these things have contributed to me having like a much more well-balanced life yeah it's it's not a it's not a simple formula or equation it takes time and if you apply the principle, which I know you really enjoy, which is Kaizen, right? Continuous improvement. One thing at a time, one small detail at a time. I think that's how you get long lasting results. Like you just one foot in front of the other, make small adjustments along the way. And eventually you'll get to a point where, and even if you don't get to a point, at least you're in the process of, of working on yourself. That's what it's all about, I think. It's like no one ever ever becomes perfect. No one ever, no one ever becomes a 10. But it's about the pursuit of trying to get there that, that makes the journey, journey worthwhile, that makes it fun, hmm. that makes it enjoyable, that makes it feel fulfilling. 
Yeah, man, man, this is, has been such an amazing conversation. Um, the the last question I want to ask you is, what is something that no one has ever asked you that you would want someone to ask you? Yeah, you. Are, <laughs> I think I think uh, it would be about how I approach failure, how I see failure, um, like what, like. I think there's a misconception about failure, especially within our circles, within entrepreneurship and sales and stuff like that. Um, and I think my philosophy sort of differs from a lot of folks on that topic. So that would be the question is like, okay, what's your relationship with failure? Right. Would you like me to answer that question? <laughs> yep. All right. Um, I think there's this message about failing fast, failing quickly, failing often that exists within the sort of high performance, high achiever circle. And I get what people are trying to say when they say that. They're saying the quicker you fail, the quicker you're going to be able to adjust and pivot and move to the next thing that works. That could be a success. The problem with that message is that when you fail at something, there's usually something that you're losing. You're either losing money, you're losing time, you're losing energy, you might be losing resources, relationships. There's a number of things that you could be losing when, when you fail. Failure does not come without a cost. And so when I think about my approach when it comes to sales, entrepreneurship, whatever it may be, podcasting, and the goal isn't to fail as quickly or as often as possible. It's to do everything I can so that when I do take that leap, I don't fail and being as risk averse to failure as possible because for example, let me give you an example. Okay. They say that 90% of small businesses fail. This is a common statistic that we hear in the space, right? Um, hmm. But all we hear are the glory stories. That person who went from rock bottom to, to multimillionaire, right? from rags to riches. Like we hear those stories mm -hmm. constantly. What you never hear about is the 90%, the failures, the people who, you know, lost their homes, the people who have, you know, don't have pennies to pinch together anymore because they bet it all on this business that they pitched on Dragon's Den, right? Mm -hmm. Like we do not, we don't hear about the failures. Mm -hmm. So again, especially in entrepreneurship culture, there's this message of like, go start your own business. Like do it today. Like don't stay in your nine to five. I actually think that's really debilitating advice because you might be giving that advice to someone who's not really quite ready to go off and do that on their own. You're able to do that because you've spent years literally working on the stuff, building the skills, you know, cultivating the, the systems, the frameworks, the processes that you are now going to use in your business, right? But a lot of people just go in cold turkey into any endeavor. And again, they fall flat in their face, they fail, and then they try and fail again, but it's just a consistent stream of failures versus, okay, what can I do to make sure that when I launch my business, I decrease the chance of failure as much as possible? Um, okay, well, what skills am I going to need? I'm probably going to be need sales. I'm probably going to need marketing. If I have those two, that should be enough. Okay, well, I should probably go out and learn those skills. All right, step number one. Step number two, 
do I know people in the space that I want to start a business in? Okay, maybe I should probably network and build relationships with them. Great. Hmm. Um, okay, how do I gain more knowledge and industry expertise? Okay, read more books, listen to podcasts and things of that nature, right? So by doing those things, you're decreasing your chances of failure. However, that should not prevent you from taking the leaps in the first place. Just because of 90% of small businesses fail doesn't mean you should not take the leap. I'm absolutely saying take the leap, but I'm saying make it as risk averse of a decision as possible so that when you do do it, you have enough systems, frameworks, processes, skills, mindset, expertise in order to give your give it your best shot at having success in that particular endeavor. That's how I see failure. Yeah, man, you're very thoughtful. It's, um, you're wise beyond your years, man. It's, it's, how old are you again? I'm about to turn 28. Yeah. You're, tw you're like a 50 year old in a 28 year old body. That's, <laughs> it's, it's quite profound. Like just a lot of the lessons that you're instilling generously well, to our audience. Um, appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Yeah, brother. Well, you know, I want to, Tanvir, I want to acknowledge you for, like the big heart that you have, um, the love and the commitment that you have to the community, your commitment to excellence while still having a, like a well-balanced like life and marriage and, um, just the positivity and the joy that you bring to all of your endeavors, the, the delight that you experience, delightful experiences you create with your podcasts. You know, I was, I was lucky enough to be one of those people that have been impacted by your generosity. And, um, yeah, thanks for getting people together. It was awesome seeing you in real life. And um, yeah, I, I'm so grateful for our friendship. I have no doubt you'll continue to um, be super impactful with all of your interactions, your your community. Um, so grateful to be a part of the community and uh, excited to see what you're up to next, my brother. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to keep in touch. And um it's been an honor being on your show and, and getting the opportunity to serve your audience. So I uh, appreciate it very much and um, wishing you, wishing you all the best in 2024 and all sorts of success. Thank you.